0: Hello and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast. Today's guest is Scott Stewart from VMC Media, Canada's largest independent media agency. Scott is responsible for the growth of the company and has recently launched VMC Digital, a strategic digital media solutions division. Scott, thanks for joining us and how are you? My pleasure, Lucas. Thanks very much. I'm good today. Awesome. Glad to hear it. So I think you have a a unique perspective for us, and that's from our friendly neighbors to the north. And so what I wanted to maybe get a feel from you on is how is media buying different, being in Canada, maybe trying to reach the U.S. market? um, And and how do those two markets, uh, how are they different from each other? And maybe what are some of the strategies um, as you look to market to both of those?
1: Yeah, I mean, It's interesting, right? Um, One of the things we we share so much culturally that um, you know, from you know, a a broadcast perspective, we're more so simulcasters than we we are broadcasters. I would say about you know, 75% of the content um, that we watch in linear video or television comes from the U.S. um, Where you know, U.S. advertising tends to be um, you know, uh, at a a smaller market level Um, in Canada, most of our you know, most of our advertising, um, you know, is at a national level. I can reach about 75% of the population just by uh, running, you know, advertising in our top 10 markets, um, which represents about 75% of our of our adult population. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is about 75% of our population lives uh, within 150 kilometers of the U.S. border, which I think, if I if I convert that to miles, is about 100 miles. So. Um, You know, a good portion of our, it it becomes very efficient to, you know, buy reach, um, for lack of a better term, uh, in Canada at a national level versus the U.S., uh, which a lot of our advertisers um, at VMC actually tend to do. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of changes. Um, What's interesting right now is the adjustments we're making um, in our plans for, for the fall based on um significant changes in consumer behavior modifications that uh, that's happened over the last 4 or 5 months um we've seen some um some some behaviors have returned to you know semi normalcy or or pre covid behavior but um there's some been some areas that we've had to make adjustments for that um you know we've seen ramp up in particular um, e-commerce um, growth accelerating Uh, For a lot of our clients um, where we've seen uh, e-commerce sales, you know, accelerate to the point of, um, you know, where we would have been about five to 10 years from now Um, had to be very mindful of that in our plans. And it's changed a lot of our strategies um, going from a lot more, you know, looking at scale and and making brand connections to uh, strategies that um, that are a lot more transactional in nature.
0: So tell tell me about that distinction, because you really have two buckets. You can do brand awareness, uh, let's say, and you can do direct response. So walk us through maybe what VMC specializes in. Maybe it's both, but how do you see the interplay between direct response and brand awareness type campaigns working together when you're buying this media throughout North America?
1: You know, Lucas, if, if I had a dollar for every time I'd been asked that question over the last uh, the last 10 years, um, you know, what is the balance between brand and direct response? Uh, more and more, I think we need to be accountable um, for return on ad spend. So um, I would say probably the last two to three years, uh, we've been heavily focused on, for lack of, you know, uh, technical terminology, providing our clients with a very clear and visible linkage between ad dollars spent and transactions created. Um, When you, when you start looking at, you know, that type of mindset um, you start putting in KPIs and measurements that, that kind of focus um, a shifted mindset from, you know, building campaigns top down uh, to building campaigns, bottom up. Right. We've taken approach now, I guess, you know, the best way to, answer that brand versus product um, uh, The focus is that, you know, we do two things now is number one. Um, the first thing we try to do is uh, instead of just looking at, you know, the marketing funnel is linear. We look at it as always on um, looking at, you know, trying to articulate the consumer journey as closely as we can and understanding, you know um, you know what we need to do to, you know, create enough scale in terms of building bias for our brands to affect um you know the active purchasing phase of the funnel um and then building the plan around that um you know when we do that we can usually uh you know go across the 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 different phases of the journey and start weighting uh importance or start building attributions type of modeling to figure out how much we need to build, um, you know, in terms of bias, a lot of that is where we, we start, you know, understanding competitive pressure activities, um, yep. you know, consumer, consumer mindset, how hard we need to work in the upper funnel. Um, and then really understand how consumers are actively shopping the category and what we need to do, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, we're pulling those levers and, um, you know, creating the best opportunities for us as they're actively shopping the category. Um, that doesn't just end with how they're actively shopping more and more. We're seeing an emphasis on, um, you know, I guess, uh, digital, the digital experience, um, and and the digital point of sale As more and more of our clients are now focusing on, um, not only their, their e-commerce strategy, um, you know, from a website transactional perspective, but, um, we're doing so much more with Amazon today than we were even six months ago. Um, that's become, you know, a major, a major area of focus for a lot of our CPG companies who, you know, six months ago, were still primarily focused on, you know, point of sale, uh, a bricks and mortar type of point of sale. So, um, you know, the conversations we we're having uh, six months ago versus now have completely pivoted. Um, you know, and again, so has our strategy. So we're finding more and more we're building marketing plans from when I say bottom up, I'm not even talking about from a point of sale back up the funnel, but um, really starting to understand that that customer at um, the most unique level possible and, um, you know, providing back um, the value we're providing back is the color and dimension um, around what those consumers
0: look like through, you know, articulating the, the customer journey. Right. So well said. I think you brought up a a host of points there, and I want to try to unpack them one by one. But the the most important to us, and I think the audience of this podcast, is how are you measuring that performance? There's a host of tools and software out there, but uh, digital with Facebook and Google, very straightforward. But the problem is, if if Google's tracking conversions, they don't necessarily tell Facebook about them. So at the end of the day, you look in your Shopify account and you you see you've sold a hundred items, but Google says you have 87 conversions, Facebook says you have 67 conversions. You see the problem, the sum of those two conversion amounts are more than what you got in real life. So yeah. in the digital sphere, how are you mitigating that? How do you handle, how do you handle those walled gardens? well it's it's difficult too especially when
1: you know you're, you're you're trying to understand attribution um and instead of you know where google and facebook should be splitting the attribution they're both claiming it yep uh, and you know uh as you work back up the funnel you know you have the concept of incrementality and i find um you know that's a concept more and more that you know when google and facebook are looking for an increased share of our digital buys you know the language starts focusing on incrementality Um, I think it depends, you know, how you're how you're building your stack and and what model you're using. Um, It does get, you know, we've spent a lot of time, Lucas, um, and a a big focus of mine since um, since coming to VMC has been exactly on what you're talking about. Um, I'm trying to get my clients essentially um, off blocking charts and onto onto dashboards. And even if that means you know um plugging in the shit. eyes as i can and even if it oh. means trying to understand um you know as many different market variables as i can um surrounding the performance buys um that's that's an area that we focus on it's difficult with the walled gardens because you still need to look at them as discrete. and i don't yeah. see that anytime soon um, so you do it's difficult when you know you're looking at you know your search and programmatic um, you know and how they operate together and look we made a decision a long time ago as an organization a commitment to anything that we can buy programmatically we will buy programmatically um, yeah. And as an extension of a lot of our legacy or traditional media, you know, we've moved more of our out-of-home dollars into programmatic digital out-of-home. We've even, you know, started trying to buy, um, you know, to deepen, you know, our former terrestrial radio campaigns into, um, you know, more streaming and really starting to understand that lens and working with um with numerus to try to bring in um, even, you know, real time television audiences to, you know, start, you know, unpacking the upper funnel and the impact on not just on search, but, you know, our performance advertising as a whole. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, when you start talking about that and you bring up a great question, um, you know, again, as we're starting to, you know, become more and more accountable for every dollar we spend and those walled gardens start sitting outside of the dimensions of a, of a dashboard and you're having real-time performance discussions with your clients more and more, um, that's not going to be acceptable, right? Because we want to be able to dimensionalize our whole campaign. Um, and eventually those questions will need to be asked if they can't sit within our operating funnel and they're sitting outside of that, you know, well, we understand that they still have size and scale. Um, and we're trying to, you know, get to absolute uh, understanding and an absolute attribution. Yeah. Uh, when is it? How does that affect our total spend in terms of when? When's enough's enough, and you know, when when will we stop hypothesizing and start, you know, redirecting spend on platforms that will give us um, yeah. the insight we need to to
0: optimize our campaigns holistically to a bottom line. So what? I mean, take a shot in the dark here. What What is that quantifiable number that says I have 80% confidence that one channel is better than the other or 90% or maybe it's 50%? Is there a, a line in the sand that you guys draw that you say uh, our attribution modeling is good enough? Um, where do you take that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. Um, that's a That's a very difficult question. Uh, because I don't think, you know, I think if we start dealing in absolutes,
0: um, yeah. you can't do anything. You're just paralyzed. You don't have the data. You might as well not spend at all because you, you, the answer is unknown slightly and it's a risk. So,
1: correct. I mean, I think, you know, when you get into, when you start dealing with absolutes, you start, you know, getting into almost, um, you know, paint by numbers <laughs> type of approach to media. And I don't think that's accurate. Yeah. I think, um. I think we have to continuously be challenging. Um yep. what's there. Um, you know, I, I think it starts putting more emphasis on, you know, the type of skill sets we have in the organization. Um, you know, my focus is now on on finding, you know, human capital and employees that, you know, can help us with the data management side. Um sure. I think strategies moving more and more around um You know, when we we had a we had a a client presentation um, where the upfront part and my background is as a chief strategy officer um, before taking over taking on a president's role, um, where I used to look at um, using data for insight. um, You know, what's the big idea that's going to be driving the plan? Uh, More and more, the upfront portion of our the strategy portion is you know who are our data partners and who are our tech partners. And you know, when we start looking at, you know, who are our tech partners um in the program, uh, that's that's really starting to lead a lot of you know our presentations. And we had one just very recently where um you know a lot of that was what data partners are we using? Um what DSPs will we be using? Um, you know, and how will that all feed into, you know, uh what our what our what our um, what our dashboard will look like. Um that was the start of the presentation where before it was um, here is how we're articulating the consumer. Um, you know, through that, here's the insight, um, which drives ultimately what our media choices will be. So it's interesting sure. how the conversation is completely pivoted around uh, more from, you know, tr- using traditional or syndicated research to, uh, you know, build surrogates of the customer and talk about how they consume media to, all right, here's the tech we're going to be using to not only understand, you um, You know, the performance of the campaign in real time, uh, but start understanding, you know, who our customer will be, um, you know, looking forward and, you know, moving into predictive modeling is
0: retroactive uh, customer um, segmentation building. Sure. One thing I wanted to hear more about is, you know, there's a couple buzzwords out there in the marketing industry and you hit on one of them, which is incrementality. And I think on the surface, incrementality is a a, fi- a fantastic ideal. It would be great if we could all sort of stop time and run a truly scientific experiment to find out if the extra $10,000 being spent on uh, Facebook is really moving the needle by an additional $30,000 of revenue or not. But I have yet to really find a partner or a podcast guest or a vendor out there who can truly deploy incrementality in a way that it achieves what it's built to deliver. So I'm wondering how you guys are handling incrementality. And if you think that it's a meaningful uh, methodology for finding those insights or or not. I think it's difficult.
1: I think it's difficult, Lucas, and it comes back to, you know, whether you want to call it attribution modeling or media mix modeling. um, I think you really have to have um, a real, uh, an advanced MMM solution in place to be able to do that. Uh, I've I've done a lot of work um, with attribution modeling. I can tell you that um, you can build those models bottom up. You can't necessarily. get the data you need top down to really start understanding incrementality properly. Um I think it's a very difficult thing to do. Um I think we've uh, you know and I've worked with that with acquisition marketers, we've gone pretty far down that rabbit hole. Um I I I find, you know, trying to understand um incrementality murky at best. I think it's a very dangerous place to be. I think it's, you know, right now. it can be dangerous language to use because as I said, um, most of the time that I hear incrementality uh, it's from a couple of the walled gardens looking at, um, you know, wanting to increase their, their, their share of budget. Um, It's a mechanism that I think is currently, you know, when we look at measuring incrementality is a bit faulty. And I don't think that, I don't think we have the right mechanisms in place to be even using that language. Uh, It's not to say we shouldn't explore it. I just find, I find some gaps in information to be able to at the very least um, measure incrementality at a point where um, it's stable enough to start using that to allocate additional investment. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, at a certain point you still have, somebody with their finger on the, on the budget trigger. And that, that person needs to make uh, uh, a qualitative decision, but also a creative decision. Um, And, you know, at some point, there's a a marketer there that says, I believe this message targeted in this way on these channels uh, is going to work or work better than what we had in the past. And so, you know, I just, I think that there's a lot of marketers out there that, are working towards an ideal. And even when I was checking out your website and the video uh, that you have on there, you know, it talks about uh, media mix modeling and attribution being far from perfect. And I think sometimes people get caught up um, in, in, in the perfection of the data or they, they put too much weight into say, well, Facebook told me it's yeah. X. Google told me it's Y the internet told me that I could do incrementality or account-based marketing with with this tool, and I think they get they get kind of stuck looking at the details instead of the bigger picture. So I'm wondering if Correct. you've had some experience in that and and how you guys recommend dealing with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, two things to um, based on what you just said. Number one, um, and again, this isn't meant to come off negative at all. Um, but when we start using the terminology, um, incrementality, as it pertains to, um, a couple of the walled gardens, I find it very self-serving, um, that it becomes, it becomes a data point to try to rationalize additional spend. Right. Beyond the point of, of optimal, I think incrementality, um, beyond, um, Google and Facebook, as it pertains to other media channels, is very difficult to prove, right. but something that we need to understand because I don't think um, I don't think that traditional media um, is getting enough visibility in terms of our our media mix models um, to draw a clear and visible line between your spend on legacy channels versus the impact it's having on sales, and that's unfair. More work to be done there. Um, and in terms of um, in terms of looking at um, that type of language, I think well, data is great. In particular, uh, people who understand how to use data to drive an insight, not an observation, but an insight, uh, meaning using data to solve a business problem. I think sometimes. Um, using data as it pertains to incrementality can also handcuff us in terms of making one one dimensional decisions um because we content we tend to only be able to prove incrementality on facebook or google and it almost becomes a default meaning i've worked with acquisition marketers who have said i know what i'm doing is technically wrong i know last touch is Or last click is technically wrong, but in absence of any other information available to me, I'm going to do this because, at the very least, I can be accountable to my organization for driving this many clicks or this many X, Y, or Z's at this price.
0: That's, that's, it's just like heartbreaking almost. You know, it's not the right word, but it's like, it's just sad. I think a lot of people fall into that trap and it's, it's easier to to for them to uh, defend that almost socially than it is to say I'm gonna challenge you know the dogma and the existing beliefs I'm gonna go out on a limb here I'm gonna get my own Excel spreadsheet going to figure out is this actually driving the value that I think it is and I I think too many people um aren't aren't looking at that one of my favorite phrases from the advertising industry in the past is uh, spray and pray and I think (laughs) people you know they they sort of pretend like they're not still doing that because they have a really nicely formatted graph from Google and Facebook but if if you really corner them and ask that question a, a lot of guys still don't don't have that uh truth that impartial unbiased answer to to say we're comparing apples to apples to apples to apples across the board. And if we had an additional dollar to spend, the best place that we should spend it is on this television station in this province. And I think people, uh, especially now with the transition that COVID has brought about, need to be thinking in that way, in that data-driven proof way, the unbiased way. I don't know if, if you share the same opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. Um, You know, we go back to attribution and it's very difficult, um, you know, and I I like your analogy about if I had an extra dollar, where would I spend it? I think that it's been my experience anyway, that that actually provides some very fruitful and very healthy discussion. Um, You know, I think I love working with clients who, you know, look, here's our base plan. We know this works. Um, we've gotten it to a formula where we know um, if we spent this, um, we will get that. I find some of the most effective models, we've, we've, for some reason, we're all so focused on attribution and media mix modeling. But, you know, it, especially in the last couple of years, um, I, I missed it. I miss going back to econometric modeling where, you know, we were trying to draw a correlation to ad spend versus volume. Um, and I like that. Uh, I, I thought that was the right way to do things because we could actually prove that, um, you know, we knew if we spent X, we would get Y volume. And that when we drew direct impact to, if we wanted an incremental lift in volume, what would we need to spend from a media perspective? And we started looking at it more as quantifiable sales versus, uh, Quantifiable digital KPIs, which, you know, that is where that's where I had gravitated to. For some reason, econometric modeling isn't fashionable anymore. Um, We're just so focused on lower funnel attribution that um, I think we need to kind of take a step back and say, that's great that, you know, we are looking at CPAs. But, you know, most of the time, you know, those acquisitions, you know, are pretty fluffy. You know yep. whether especially when it's when it comes down to just you know driving web visits or uh to a page on the website as right. trying to prove your accountability for a marketing outcome yeah. uh, you know again i i I go back to the closer um we can provide that visible linkage between ad dollars spent to a sale a transaction when I say transaction not a digital transaction but a commercial transaction yeah. Um, I think that's what we should be focused on and that's what you know we are rigorously and obsessively focused on at vmc in particular a vmc digital brand and trying to bring those two worlds together that's why we created a separate digital brand to try to bring you know um not just not just media but transactional media together and create um you know a center of excellence as a shared resource horizontally across our group with specialized service and and a I, I would say like BMC digital, for example, um, how it serves the organization is more of a mindset than it is even, you know, a digital area of specialty. Uh, it becomes that performance mindset that we share across our organization. Um, to help clients, you know, again, have that clarity that, you know, the millions, the tens of millions of dollars that they're investing on in marketing, um, are driving outcomes, right? And the closer to that single source of truth that we can get, um, the the harder we're working and the better job we're doing
0: for our clients. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. I like the kind of forward thinking, uh, future thinking that, that you guys have there. I think it's going to bode well for uh, the changes that are happening now in the landscape and will continue to happen. I wanted I have- to bring up, I wanted to bring up two uh, other kind of channels, uh, newish channels, let's say, but are kind of on the cutting edge. And I wanted to see how you guys are tackling them. And I guess we'll do them one by one. So the first of which is Amazon, because Amazon has emerged as now the third or fourth largest ad network, digital ad network. Um, there is sort of quietly snuck up uh, and and has a very strong position now over the past uh, two or three years but Amazon is now the world's highest walled garden. What are you doing to get that data out, if at all? And if you're not getting any data out, which I have not heard anybody actually succeeding in pulling attribution data out, what are you doing to get the best that you can out of Amazon to optimize your uh, ad spend that sends people to Amazon? Uh, Even though you can't hear back from Amazon how well that's performing, how do you stitch that uh, equation together to try to try to optimize that channel? Well, that's that's interesting. You know,
1: Lucas, I I think you know I, I'm going to be try to I'm going to try to be very pragmatic as I explain this. Um, working with Amazon from an advertising perspective um, has been has been challenging for the past several years. I mean, I think you know, anytime you have the opportunity to work with Um, a platform that is the the Google slayer, if you will, I think the industry gets pretty hot because it's not that necessarily, you know, Google is the bad guy, but um, you certainly don't ever want to have a partner or a platform, you know, having that level of dominance or that level of authority in the marketplace. So alternatives are always good. Um, I think we've struggled with Amazon um, from an advertising perspective. Um, Largely because advertising isn't their isn't the focus of their business, right? Cool. Um, you know how how we advertise on other on other platforms from uh, a display perspective, from a brand perspective, um, isn't isn't where it should be or it needs to be on Amazon because, quite frankly, I mean, ad sales isn't why they're in business, right? Yeah. Um, I think that it hasn't been a priority. For the business, I think the biggest, the other big challenge is, um, you know, that we there's an issue with, um, you know, the e-commerce side and the advertising side that that's not a shared data source. Um, You can't bring those two together. Um, That they, you know, those two areas, the advertising side and the sales side, are are still discrete. And until until those gates are open, I think there's always going to be, um, you know, a bit of a that that firewall there uh, yeah. pre- prevents us from doing what we want to do, and you know, I haven't seen any indications that those two worlds will be coming together. So for us, that's always going to be the roadblock in terms of using Amazon to the capabilities that we as marketers actually want to do. Yeah. That said, a lot of the work that I'm doing on Amazon actually isn't necessarily coming from uh, the marketing cost center on the client side, but rather working with the retail sales side of the business. Um, And we're starting to work with, it's very funny, different divisions within our companies um, that a lot of the times the work we're doing with Amazon isn't coming from the marketing cost center. It's coming from the retail cost center. Uh, So, you know, while we're doing our best to try to, you know, show a full view of the retail journey, um, just by the nature of Amazon advertising coming from a completely different cost center um, means it's a completely different strategy with different KPIs. Um, you know, again, it becomes very transactional. And I think for many clients, in particular CPG, who, you know, we were having conversations with their CPG advertisers in 2017. Um, we're still talking about uh, e-commerce being a decimal point. Uh, I, I had clients where um, in 2017 e-commerce was 0.4% of their total sales by yeah. the end of 2018, it was 4%. And, you know, in, in client briefs where I was like, well, it's only 4% of our sales, but people have didn't realize it. Yeah, but it grew 1, in, <laughs> yeah. in a thousand percent in in the span of 24 months. So again, sure. I, I I wouldn't even be able to answer that question intelligently um, yeah. because I don't even understand to what extent, um, you know, quarantine has if impacted and affected um, consumer behavior and the modifications that have, you know, accelerated, you know, years worth of growth of purchasing online because, you know, again, people were quarantined, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to know until the end of the year um, what that looks like. And I don't think we're prepared as an industry uh, to catch up at this point. I mean, we're going to do our best, but um, again, I think the advertising opportunities on Amazon are limited compared to what they should look like. Um, We are able to connect
0: the, the Amazon advertising and the retail side of the business. Yep. Well, you know, I don't want to derail and, and go backwards uh, down the Amazon rabbit hole because it's a, it's a deep rabbit hole. But our guest last week, our last episode, was sort of an expert in the space, and I'm always trying to to, to poke and prod with the guys that we talk to to try to figure out what's the secret sauce. What, what you know, what's the hack that that gets us in there? And I've I've come up empty handed each time. But I think if anybody is looking. Uh, for more information about how to uh, crack the Amazon code, check out the previous episode uh, where we, we went into it in detail. And and just while we're on the topic here, what I think is really interesting to bring up about Amazon is it it truly is fundamentally different because on Google, if you advertise on Google, okay, you pay, you're on the top three spots. You get the little yellow box or whatever, and it it shows clearly that, that's an ad. And then below it, you have the organic results. And Google will tell you, and we have to trust them that if you pay for ads, it doesn't impact your search ranking. What's amazing about Amazon is that this is not the case. Amazon is is not an advertising platform. It's a sales platform. And Amazon doesn't care. Like Google cares. Did the consumer get the information? Was it fast? Did their question get answered? If so, rank this site higher because it's it's helping these people. Amazon's whole operation is based on making the consumer buy it and buy the right thing that they want and then leave a positive review. And so with Amazon, you could start a new product next week and run ads to that product. And if those ads are successful in getting in front of the right people, making people buy it, Amazon will say, regardless of the traffic source, even though they're forcing their way to the front of the line, one in a hundred people who sees this product buys it. That's better than average. Let's move them up higher. It happens again, self-fulfilling prophecy. They're at a 2% conversion rate. And what happens is now you're the number one organic ranking product on Amazon, not because you've done anything special, simply because it has the highest percentage conversion rate of any of the competitive products and amazon doesn't care if you pay for it if you get it for free, if you tell your friends to leave you fake reviews it, it doesn't matter what matters to them is which converts the fastest and makes people most happy and I think that that is a a wrinkle we learned last time that might be worth uh exposing on on this call that it really is a pay for play um and a pay for position environment in amazon and it's 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 not hidden from you. That's the rules to the game, and I think most people don't really get that until they're they're involved uh, uh, and and had spent some money. So I think it's important to bring up. Second piece here that I wanted to get your thoughts on, at least before we sign off is sort of the new uh, visual and audio mediums that are coming. We spoke about it a little bit before we we started the episode, but I wanted you to unpack it for us. Talk us through OTT and podcasts. Uh, and how that is a shifting landscape and where you see that going. Where, where is it today and where is it going to be in the next couple of years in terms of growth and, and marketing?
1: Great. Thanks, Lucas. i uh, just, in, just to close the, the door on Amazon and um, potentially for another podcast, we had an interesting discussion internally around our consumer reviews, the new rating point. Um, and will that be a KPI in terms of, you know, driving consumer reviews to, and drawing the correlation between transactions so that's a whole other podcast um but something to think about down the road um you know we go back to ott and podcasts i mean again you know we touched on you know consumer um, behavior modifications in particular um, media usage modifications and i mean listen you don't have to be a media expert to Um, just to understand the impact to streaming in particular in the first couple months of, of lockdown um, that that's had. I mean, OTT as a topic has been growing, um, you know, in interest uh, at the very least, you know, people have been including premium video uh, to augment their linear television strategies for some time Um, in the past. I mean, that was limited to premium video, um, you know, looking at you know, however you defined premium video whether that was nonlinear video ie um, you know trying to garner TV audiences on devices um, YouTube um, you know looking at YouTube preferred um, we've been we've been looking at that uh, OTt you know a little different here in Canada um, the us is much farther along in terms of you um, in terms of usage. I mean, you know, Roku, I would say even six months ago is still at its infancy stage, um, in Canada. Um, you know, this is obviously accelerated, you know, w- when we talk connected TV, um, you know, we're, we're saying any audiences, um, uh, you know, available on streaming,
0: um,
1: you know, I can tell you right now in terms of, you know, the percentages uh, or we've spent more. I think we did more more, la, more, in connect, more, more investment in connected television last quarter in COVID than we probably did as an agency in 2019. Wow. Um, probably one of our fastest growing um, areas right now from an investment perspective. And that's largely not only because of, you know, audiences going there, but now we have the the technology and the capabilities to actually buy it better, um, aggregate more partners, and uh, optimize better results. Um, Major area of focus for us is not only buying streaming video audiences, uh, but again, how we measure, how we determine outcomes. and, and what the quality of those audiences are. And again, that that becomes a whole other area. I know you also asked about uh, podcasts and um, I'd have to start with, you know, we've been spending a lot of time in particular. Uh, audio is kind of on the tail end of, of our focus. We've obviously, you know, we live in a video first world. So video has always been the focus in particular in the last uh, 24 months, you know, again, as you mentioned, wow. OTT audiences. Um, you know, digital streaming audiences. Uh, audio has been on the long tail of that. It's certainly been a discussion point for the last couple of years, but a bit we've been a bit more slow to adapt, um, but that's because audiences have been a bit more slow to adapt. Um, you know, when we look at our, our terrestrial radio buys now, um, we're augmenting those with digital streaming audiences. We saw actually, um, you know, in our last measurement period here in Canada for terrestrial radio stations, You know, we saw audiences drop largely because of the impact to AM and PM drive times. I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw by format drop um, anywhere from 10 to 30 percent. And we saw streaming audiences increase. So we've gone in now and we've proxied that and understood, you know, on a format by format basis, how we're augmenting. Um, What's interesting is where we did see dip in terrestrial radio, we did see increasing... Streaming And while overall total tuning is down a bit, um, we have found ways to keep our radio investment healthy by being inclusive of their streaming audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Conversely, I mean, you know, I read very recently that podcasts in the U.S. is on their way to being a billion dollar business. Um, We have seen growth in this area. Um, You know, we still struggle with what's the right amount uh, to spend. Uh, right. On podcasts, I mean, the problem with podcasts is well you know you can do really cool stuff like you know immersive creative um you know you I really like the engagement um, you know your advertising while well, people are you know really committed you know not only from a time perspective but you know really invested from an engagement perspective um you know within the whole theater of the mind aspect it's still such a small amount of their time Right. in terms of consumption. I almost liken it, you know, people talk about, you know, we're inclusive of it within our audio strategy, but I'm convinced that people have divested time spent from offline publishing and magazines and have actually, you know, looked to fulfill that in, in podcasts. So it's, uh, I'm just struggling with it because it's just such, you know, a small amount of our time that I don't think we'll – you know i i don't think we'll ever be able to to qualify the value of it yep if that makes sense yeah it does but i'm glad to see it's rising i mean i've i i've had um i've had uh you know for years um one of canada's largest um daily newspapers uh, was my client from uh, 2004 to 2008. And the publisher at the time, um, you know, around 2006 was, you know, this is back when we were talking podcasts, meaning like on your iPod, um, receive, you know, content on your iPod was going to be the savior of newspaper. Um, And technically I don't think he was wrong. I think, you know, had they been able to pivot that way and, you know, Nobody would have had the foresight of the iPhone or the technology available to us today. Uh, but imagine receiving, you know, publishing on on podcasts and being able to hear it from an audio perspective. Um, who knows, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's something that, you know, we're inclusive of because we think we should be. Um, you know, it's obviously for 2020 podcasts have increased in importance and intention um it's not just something on the plan i I don't think we're talking about testing it anymore i think you know we're still looking at single digit percentage of audio investment going to podcast um i don't think it's the year of podcast again type of thing yeah Um, we see spends rising in the u.s i think you know there's a lot more work to be done to to validate it um I think right now we're being still being very intuitive of the value of it, um, but I think you know is it the future of audio advertising? Probably not. Um, does it have a place on the plan? Absolutely, um, especially you know when you're looking at more contextual aligning advertisers with more contextual or endemic type of uh, content. I think you know that that can be a very powerful powerful plot. Uh, you know. Powerful platform when we're looking at, you know, building bias for a brand and authenticity, um, you know, in the message delivery.
0: Well said. So let me sign off here by asking, what's new with you guys? What is on the horizon for the company? How can people listening to that, uh, listening to this podcast who are looking to um, work with a media buyer, uh, in, in Canada, North America, how can they get in touch with you? Um, and what's next for the business? How can, how can they reach out and find Scott and get to work with you? Yeah, it's pretty easy.
1: My email is scott at vmcmedia.com. Um, you know, we are, we're definitely open for business. I think, you know, well, you know, COVID has hurt a lot of companies, Um, I think for us, it gave us an opportunity to um, accelerate growth in the areas that we did. I think we look at things a little different. Um, You know, we don't have, we were able to really kind of, you know, unshackle ourselves um, with the same burdens. Like a lot of the holding companies, um, you know, are still shackled to legacy remuneration models that um, we don't have that same business problem we didn't build our we didn't build our 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 business model on um you know commodity type trading um so we're not we're not focused on building our plans top down we're we're actually um we're focused on starting you know our planning process with solving Business problems, and again, you know, we talked a little bit about drawing a clear and visible linkage between, you know, our clients' ad dollars spent and transactions created. I mean, that's where we start, right? Right. We don't start with a prefab or pre-canned approach. I mean, we really start with, um, you know, we look at. I look at success. Our organization looks at success as the amount of business problems we have the privilege of helping our clients solve and you know we like to work with clients that give us the greatest opportunity to move up the value chain you know i look at like i mean look efficiency is an important part of our business i'm not discrediting rate as something is important um but i i think that's you know i think that's shallow work i like sure. to focus on the deep work Anybody can do shallow work. It's the deep work that, um, you know, is value that you create that's unique to you and your organization. Um, And the farther I can move up my client's value chain from a partnership perspective, um, the deeper those partnerships are. And we have had very long-term legacy partnerships with our clients for those exact reasons. Um, and I think that what, that's what makes us a little different than, you know, some of the other opportunities out there, uh, because we truly do um, focus on aligning everything to solving problems with our clients. Um, we consider that our ultimate KPI, um, and because of which we build our, our plans bottom up, not top down, with a predetermined solution in mind, which, you know, a lot of the holding companies um, model suggests um, you know, a lot of the holding company model um, you know, has a lot of predetermined solutions based on what's good for them from an operating efficiency perspective. Right. Um our process is a lot more laborious. Um, but I think we can in many cases create better outcomes by creating customized solutions that um just isn't possible at a hold co where you own your tech stack or your trading de- your trade desk and um you know your solutions have a pre-baked you know um, product in it that you're essentially trying to sell back to your client or um, reselling them inventory at a profit to your company
0: yeah so I couldn't I, I don't I don't think I could have said it any different so <laughs> you got so. uh, the right mentality there and I think uh, oftentimes advertising and a lot of these overly technical companies are gonna put you into the into the infrastructure and assign you a number and, and hope the results, uh, you know, are good enough to keep you, uh, till the next, till the next contract. So it's refreshing to hear somebody, you know, look at things from a creative problem solving standpoint. And I think that's a, a great brand to have. And I wanted to thank you for, Being with us here on the podcast, if anybody listening would like to get in touch with Scott, you can find the links and the information below. We will provide a transcript to this and we'll have more information on our blog as well. So thanks to everyone for listening. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast with Scott Stewart signing off.